Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. All right, so today we're going to talk about something that actually was kind of something new I learned in the last year or two of my gaming career, and uh, that is what's called a Session Zero, which is something that you know you may not be familiar with, but uh, toss it over to Steve, and maybe you can explain to us what a Session Zero is. Right, so a Session Zero is a session before your first session. So you'll sit down, set expectations with players as far as what you expect out of them or what they're expecting out of you, maybe, what they can expect as far as the story or what you're planning to do in this particular campaign. And it gets you a good chance to get everybody on one page rather than having that first session where everybody shows up with a character and now you have to figure out how all of these characters fit together. You have time to get everybody on one page. You can even go over game mechanics if maybe it's a new game or a game that somebody doesn't quite understand how a mechanic works. You can do all of that as far as anything along those lines. Yeah, that's exactly, you know, it, it's it's a place to, to sit down, talk about the game, talk about your expectations, both as a player or a GM. And I think, uh, especially in cases where you and I, where we like to play games that may be less familiar to m- many of the players, it's something, it's important because you can answer system questions and tone questions that you just can't in, not so much maybe that you can't, but that would really disrupt a a regular session. Right. I feel that a session zero, especially for maybe a game that the table hasn't played fully, uh, is absolutely necessary. Now, the first time I heard about it um, was more than likely on a podcast, because I I know in my previous experience, nobody ever did session zeros. As a matter of fact, when I started playing, session zeros were often like frowned upon because it was assumed that that led to min-maxing, which is, I, you can argue if that's a good or a bad thing. I, I, I think some people overreact to what would be considered min-maxing. Yeah, I think some people overreacted to it. And the thing is, is it was, to me, min-maxing is putting a game within the game in the context that it's how well can you build a character as opposed to having fun playing the character. Yeah. Back when I played 4E, it was very like if a uh, session zero was really frowned upon, a lot of people really thought that that was used for min maxing and for, for, I don't want to say for whatever reason, but for, for, the group that I played with, min-maxing was incredibly frowned upon, and to me, I never understood it as a bad thing. I never understood, like, I understood, like, min-maxing in the sense of fudging your dice rolls, but I never understood min-maxing in the sense of, oh, I sat with the player handbook for four hours and picked my spells to make sure that I was as efficiently optimized for the build I wanted to do. Maybe that's from me coming from a video game background, but I never understood why people felt that, oh, because I specifically laid out this in this particular way, that I'm min-maxing my character, and I just didn't get that. Well, see, I think some of that to to really kind of pick up on that, like, uh, again, you know, 4th edition is one where you, where you know it considerably better than I do. Um I spent a decent amount of time playing 3-5, and 3-5, especially toward the end, was very much, like, there were so many splat books and this and that, and there were so many, the way it was structured, it became a game of min-maxing, and it kind of got to a point where it would get frustrating if you had one player at the table who was really well min-maxed, then the rest of you feel almost useless next to him like i actually played with a guy who he built a character that i think he was a barbarian and you know i don't remember numbers now but he was routinely doing 50 to 80 damage in a single strike it you know i don't remember what level we were at 
but so like I and I specifically remember the the one encounter whatever it, it he one shot a minotaur what <laughs> like 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 standing to dead one <laughs> okay now the way this particular person played this particular character he actually he played him extremely recklessly to the point where if he didn't one shot things bad things happened to him but at the same well, time if if you're playing a character that's not built to skirt around and and totally totally take advantage of this little hole in the rules or this little thing or this little uh sync up between these two things you know like i said if if you're not doing that now you feel like you're not well you know i hit him with a crit and i did 20 and he just hit him and did 65 hmm i know the feeling i've been there and i've played with people where I've I've played in games and not not just 4E but I played a 5th edition game where I was playing with a guy who he spent a lot of time figuring out how to specifically build his character and we were both playing the same class and I felt like man <laughs> I feel like an idiot because you spent like 4 hours working on this character and I spent 10 minutes <laughs> well and that's too where you know, three five got a reputation for being very gatekeepery because it was almost required that you have the knowledge of the system to be able to build these characters to keep up with everyone else at the table. And if you were coming in as someone who'd never played before, you're expecting or expected, so to speak, to to keep up with people who have been playing this game or games like it for you know just three five for five seven years but to get back to session zeros it really and i i've i i found that session zeros are really useful on a dm side as well to get to get everybody on the same page and to get a feeling is if it's a new group you get a feeling for the players if it's an old existing group you get a feeling for the type of game they want to play because you don't always want to play the same game and you don't always want to tell the same stories and do the same thing over and over and over again. I think that's why I'll get burnt out with D&D every now and again, because it's the same, you know, go here, kill thing, leave, go here, kill thing, leave, you know. Unless you decide to break into a museum. Yeah, unless you decide to break into a museum, <laughs> in which case it turns into go here, attempt to break glass. Fail miserably. Fail miserably. Accidentally kill town guard. Have you know that I didn't attack anyone? Well, no, I did. I did cast chill touch a time or two. That's right. <laughs> you cast it at the drider, but that's fine. Um, yeah, well, driders are scary. They are scary. They're big spider people. Pretty much. But <laughs> I, I do like to use a session zero for... Uh, setting up and asking questions. I mean, we used it when we played Cyberpunk, which we did a session, we did a one-shot, then we did a session zero for the actual campaign. And that worked really well because it let everybody, hey, I don't understand this. How does this work? How do we do this? What do we, you know... It lets new players ask the questions they need to ask. Yes. I think, too, in that particular instance, Cyberpunk, mechanically, well, it isn't really... At all the same in D and D, it kind of is from the player side. Yeah, it it, it is it is close to D and D, but again, yeah, that's more off topic. I'll, we'll get into that more once Red comes out, I imagine. But um, yeah, because I yeah, I, Cyberpunk Red is going to be you're going to hear us talk about that for a while. So yeah, it is. It's it's useful with uh, new games, or you're just starting a new group. It kind of lets everyone get a feel for. Okay, you know, this is the way this person GMs, this is the way these players play. It lets everyone kind of get to know each other as role players, even if you already know each other as people. Well, and the other nice thing with a session zero is if you're starting at session zero and you sit down at the table and the other players don't play the way you want to or you don't like the feeling of the room, maybe the DM or GM doesn't run the game the way you, you prefer it gives you an opportunity to go, hey, maybe this isn't for me, without getting invested into the game too far with that group. 
it lets you sort of go, hey guys, not to be rude, this isn't for me, I'm going to bounce, but hey, have a good one. Because I did that. I In college, there was a group trying to run a, a it was a weird D&D homebrew of D&D and Doctor Who, and it was awful, pretty much. Um, I don't think it was anything wrong with the particular rule set they were using. I think it was more along the lines of the group that was trying to run it, just didn't have a very firm understanding of D&D, and didn't have a very firm understanding of what the homebrew rule set they had was. And I was just like, ah, yeah, guys, I'm good. I'm gonna bounce at this point. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's, that is, you know, like you said, that's, that's important. Uh, you can get a better understanding of a lot of things. And another thing I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it is, it's, it's understanding what type of game the GM wants to run. And that'll give you a better, better idea of what kind of character to make that's going to, allow you to have fun while DM or GM is having fun weaving the stories that they want to weave with the tone that they want to weave. Right, exactly. And it also lets you exercise the use of what's referred to as the X card. Now, we we broke into a little bit of terminology last episode. Obviously, we got off on a rant and got lost somewhere, but I want to sort of explain, or maybe you can explain the X card as far as using that to help a table feel more comfortable well i've never played with it i have heard it explained a few times and it's what is uh, generally referred to as a safety tool for a role-playing game and i think that's something we may want to do a whole episode in the future on because there are a variety of different ones but one of the more common ones is what's called the x card and what this literally is is especially if you're playing around a physical table but you can do it online you get a index card or even just a sheet of paper and you put a big bold x on it and every player person around the table has this and what it's for is if through the course of gameplay you get to where the game is progressing into a territory where you feel uncomfortable be it because let's say we're you're talking about some sort of say physical gore that for whatever reason really triggers and bothers you and it's it's something or or perhaps you know you're playing with someone who is a former military person and they witnessed something when they were in the military or just in general life even doesn't have to be military that they're just not comfortable with having in the fiction they can just grab this card hold it up everyone just stops right there you reset rewind and just avoid, you know, you can have a little bit of a conversation about what it was, not the why, just the what, and avoid making everyone or anyone at the table uncomfortable. Now, an add-on to this that I heard um, fairly recently, uh, Asians Represent had a show on the one-shot feed, and I didn't listen to the whole show, but they used a modified version of the X card where they had an X and an O card. And what that was for, the O card was for, hey, it looks like I'm really struggling whatever with whatever this topic is, but I'm actually good. I want to keep going. I'm just, so to speak, method acting or whatever, appearing like this is distressing, but I want to keep going with this in the game. And I thought that was a really cool add-on to the concept. So I've actually heard, and I believe it was... uh Justin from the Terrible Warriors podcast mentioned that he finds playing with the X card actually freeing because he knows that his players can then, he can just go, and if his player has a problem, they can hold up a stop sign, and that's that, and he doesn't have to spend any time in the back of his mind thinking about, am I treading into an area that is uncomfortable for anybody? Right. And I think at a session zero, getting that expectation set and explaining to the players, hey, we're going to give you an X card. If you feel uncomfortable at any point, you just raise this little card up. We'll stop right there. We'll continue on, move past that, maybe talk about what what it was, but move past and we won't ask any questions on why. And I think that's actually, it's a really good tool 
for the players. It's a really good tool for the DM. Like you had mentioned, you know, it is freeing. It lets you go and just go. And if the players aren't objecting to it, then you, you know, obviously discretion, but it lets you do what you want to do and know that your players are comfortable with where you're going. And I do like the O card. I do like the I'm okay. Let's just keep moving. I, I like that. Yeah, like I said, I like that as an addition to that because a little harder to implement online gaming, but I do very much like the idea of using the X and the O card in conjunction where you you can look up and go, oh, man, they look like they're, but now they, okay, yeah, they're fine. They want to keep going. But that's, again, you know, probably in a safety, in in a session zero, you should discuss what safety tools or even if you're not going to formally use safety tools, have a discussion about hey, look, is there anything you want me to avoid? No gratuitous killing of puppies or kittens. Okay, doesn't seem like right. that's a thing that should come up, but you never know what someone might do, especially as a DM, to try and create an impactful scene. Oh, absolutely. I've never been in campaigns where they've gone really crazy as far as that stuff but i have heard a few where it's like you you really went too far in in that direction yeah well you know and there was the whole adam coble incident that happened recently i have not seen any footage of the actual incident and the only person involved that i'm even at all familiar with is one of the players from a different podcaster stream but that obviously treaded into areas where No one seemed to think it was appropriate, and yet it happened to someone who has a lot of experience not only DMing, but DMing for a live stream, and so to speak, they got caught in a situation where they probably shouldn't have been. Right. I mean, and that's that's always a tough, like, not to make this whole podcast about using the X card, but that is, that is... A touchy situation and and should have never really been, in my opinion, shouldn't have been the way it was. But that's just personal opinions as far as that. And I, I, I absolutely agree with you that, you know, the X card is one of those things where it does. It lets you let you just stop something that you don't feel comfortable with. And that, that is a good tool for the players. And the thing is, too, is it doesn't cost you anything realistically i mean you can use a scrap of paper you can i mean i in my gaming bag i have two packs of index cards from the dollar store you know they're i don't know a hundred and some in each one they cost me a dollar a piece i use them for spell cards i use them to make quick little notes on to, to pass or to whatever you know so you need that and a pen or a pencil and draw a heavy x or heavy o on it and oh so you've got six people around the table. It's a dozen of them. Right. It's nothing. It, you know, it costs you nothing to do. And realistically, so to speak, worst case scenario is someone uses it and you realize, hey, I almost did something that may have poorly impacted someone else when we were all just trying to have fun. Exactly. No, I completely agree with that. I think safety tools or at the very least, a discussion of, you know, because like we were talking a little bit, you know, I ran a cyberpunk campaign for our table and while we didn't use any formal safety tools, I did get with each each player on like Facebook Messenger or text message and say, hey, look, is there anything you want me to stay away from or avoid that you're uncomfortable with? And at the minimum, I'd say you want to do that with your players if you're running the game. Just to kind of have a general sense of what's acceptable. And I think in the in the bigger thing, whether your session zero is a formal, everyone sits down around the table like you were having a gaming session, or if it's just pre-session, communi- you know, pre-campaign communication, that's the big thing about it, whether it's a formal session or not. Right, and and that's the big thing that's nice about a session zero is that most of the time, a session zero is not a formal session. It, it lets you get that conversation and, and and talk to the players, get to know them a little bit more, get a better understanding of who the players are, especially if it's a new group. New groups are tough. And if you don't know anybody in the group going into it, it's even more difficult, which very rarely happens. But I've had it happen a few times where trying to set up online games, somebody will go, 
hey, I'm bringing my friend so-and-so. I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you know, hey, my neighbor once has been asking questions. Can I bring him over to play? Okay. Yeah. I mean, providing I don't already have, you know, five, six people at the table, I don't want to get much met past that as far as total players because it starts slowing everything down. But other than that, I'm more than willing to to help, you know, bring someone new into the hobby. Going beyond the safety tools, though, you mentioned setups as far as if you're playing a different game or another thing is if you're playing in either a setting that is less well-known or a homebrew setting, there are going to be things that need explained. You know, both you and I are big fans of the Eberron setting, and that's what we're actually playing in currently in the campaign that that we play in together. Well, you're running it, I'm a player, but the other three people that we play with went, uh, yeah, I've heard of that, or one of them did, and the other two were like, uh, okay. You know, but there are a lot of things that work differently in Eberron, and us sitting down before we started playing to make characters and go over the things that are different, I think was very important to them. Well, and it's not just that. We're playing Eberron, but we're also playing my homebrewed version of Eberron. We're playing a different... Like, there are things in my version of Eberron that work differently than how the book would describe it. And that's another big benefit of having a Session Zero, is if you're running a homebrew campaign, it lets you explain, hey, I'm making these changes, I'm I'm adding these homebrew rules, we're going to do it this way, you know... It lets you get an expectation to the players of, so the book says this, but I want to run it this way and and do that in that particular manner. I was going to say, it is a perfect opportunity to, a perfect and I think the appropriate opportunity to explain the house rules that you may have and, and to briefly stop on a term. House rules are things that you or your DM does that may be different than what the book says, or in some cases, and this probably was more popular back in the early days with like AD&D 2nd Edition and whatnot, where you're importing a mechanic from another game and adapting it into D&D or whatever system you're playing in, and being upfront with the players and letting them know, hey, this is a mechanic I'm going to use for this thing, so that when it comes up at the table, they're not going, well, if I'd known that, I would have done this thing different. It also cuts back on the, well, the book says. There's there's the whole great debate and forever will be of rules as written versus rules as intended. <laughs> yeah, we will have a, I think we'll have a field day when we get to that point. Oh, there are entire podcasts dedicated to that. <laughs> I, yeah. But I, I, I do want to say that, yeah, I've, I've definitely, I, I remember sitting down at a table where I was jumping in probably session two or session three and the DM before the session starts goes, all right, everybody roll a D20. I rolled a 15 and I go, why are we all rolling D20s before the session starts? Oh, because if you roll above me, you get an inspiration. Okay. That's nobody like, that's fine. I didn't have a problem with it, but it was, it was definitely like shocking i'm like what what is this weird homebrew house rule thing like yeah that was also the same session we played in the greek pantheon and that's just a fun time yeah well and you know like i know a podcast that i used to listen to uh the dm at the start of every in-game day would go okay someone give me just a flat d20 roll and that was to kind of give him an idea of the general weather etc. for the day. If you weren't familiar with it, you're like, what the heck is he doing? Right. Yeah, session zero, it's to set expectations, explain things, and answer questions regarding any mechanics, and the other thing that it can do, and you don't have to, but I think it is done quite a bit, is sometimes you get into character generation. I like doing, I, I will, I will be the outlier on this one. I like doing character generation at session zero. I really do. Because I like the ability to go, all right, you're playing this, and you're playing this, and you're playing this, rather than rather than at session one, everybody going, hi, my name's Bob, and I'm playing the fixer. Yeah, well, and it lets you, like, we saw this even though uh, the players ended up dropping out when we did the session zero for Cyberpunk. 
we had a couple people through the random backstory generation that that system has create this crazy inner relationship between three or four of the characters, and they had a ball with it. I'm pretty sure that you and and the other player in our current Eberron campaign wouldn't be compatriots if it weren't for the fact that we had a session zero on that. Yeah, oh, yeah exactly. It lets you build... It, I, I think session zeros let you build these interpersonal relationships amongst your characters without having to try... Like, you can go, hey, you know, do you want to be... Like, I know you're rolling up this... Let's say you're rolling up a... a a monk do you want to be my brother like <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah you know i i played in a in a campaign years ago where and, and this was kind of weird but yeah we were kind of brainstorming things when we were going to get started and this was long before i'd ever heard of a session zero but i was playing i think a dwarven barbarian with a rather low intelligence and probably a rather low wisdom and the other person was playing Kenku Cleric, I think. And we worked up this crazy scheme where my character thought that the other character was his brother. <laughs> and it created a lot of wonderful role play through the game. But again, it was not something that had, we just showed up and sat down at the table and I went, okay, I got a dwarf. And, you know, other person went, oh, I got a Kenku or whatever he was. And I go, oh, hey, you want to be my brother? Right. I think that's why I like I like character creation at the table too because sometimes you just want to ask a stupid question and when you're at home alone rolling a character or when you're sitting with the DM specifically I I've had a couple sessions where uh I really despise and I'll say this and not to be rude to anybody who does it that's your thing hey that's cool but I don't like the old school where you meet one-on-one -on -one with the DM and we're going to individually roll your characters. I never liked that. <laughs> I never did. Mm -hmm. Because it, it's, oh, well, what's everybody else playing? Oh, well, they're playing this, 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 and this. But that's great. But what variant are they playing? Can you tell me a little bit more about the characters that they rolled up? No. Okay. Wonderful. I'll roll a generic thing because you're only giving me generics. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think it does. It creates uh, an opportunity for a lot more dynamic party where you go, okay, well, you're covering kind of this angle of things, and you're covering kind of that angle of things, and in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, it's not as big of an issue as it used to be in previous editions or might be in other games, but it also lets you go... All right, so we have this covered, this covered, and this covered. I've got four or five ideas, so I'll pick this one because it'll let me cover this thing that the other people aren't covering. Right. And again, to go back to character relationships, it also makes it easier. As a DM, one of the hardest things for a session one is for you to figure out how all of these people meet. And I have had some pretty miserable session ones where... I basically set up a concept of, okay, you're all coming to this funeral or whatever. And each player, each player had set up and made their character individually. And because of personalities of those characters, everybody just sort of clashed with each other. <laughs> I was helping a buddy of mine DM his first campaign and, and I was playing in it. And I was playing a thief. Um, we had a cleric who was super lawful. And it was just funny because she hated my guts because I was a thief. I was a rogue. And I was very specifically a, a chaotic evil, you know, chaotic evil rogue who just would rob people because, but sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but that's not, that's not a wrong character. But no. at the same point, at a session zero, if the DM wants to say, hey, I don't want evil characters. Right. Or, you know, I want all lawful characters or I want all chaotic or and you know alignment is a whole other thing that we can probably discuss ad nauseum if we wanted to but yeah a session zero or you know even if it's just a, a group messenger thread or conversation on a Facebook group or anything like that you know that discussion allows you to create something that's going to be more fun for everyone I absolutely agree with that sometimes the players can throw out ideas at you when you're explaining, you know, maybe you've set up this narrative 
Maybe you've set up this world that you want to play in, and the players will go, well, does it have this? It does now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, it may be something, you know, that, like you said, the DM hadn't, hasn't thought of, and, oh, wait, yeah, that could be a fun thing to play around with. I mean, you threw it at me when we were setting up Eberron. You were like, oh, are we going to get to see the halflings on raptors? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah, it, well, it's it's one of those things that is, and I don't want to say often overlooked because it, it does get brought up a lot by Eberron nerds, but at the same time, you hear a lot of people go, Eberron, and, and I think their mind immediately goes to Sharn and all the, the magic doodads and so on and so forth, and for me anyway, well, I think that's all great, neat, wonderful. I don't really care to I mean, to play in that. That environment, yes. The Eberron that I want to run is more centered around, hey, we just had a hundred-year-long civil war, and a whole country just disappeared. <laughs> and what does that mean? Well, and then you're seeing that my Eberron is more of the, you know, pulp stories. More of the, like, got a little bit of the magic, but more, like, detective and stealth and those type of stories. like more of the pulp side. Yeah, and to me, that's one of the things that makes that setting so compelling is there's so many different directions you can go in it, and it doesn't, even if you were theoretically running in the same world like a co-DM thing, you could still go so many different directions with it and not invalidate the other things. Right. You know, another thing that you can do at your session zero is is ask yourself a question or not yourself, but maybe if you're the DM in particular, but even if you're a player, maybe, you know, ahead of time, think of a, just a, a couple of, of questions somehow related to the game that you want to ask everyone at the table to get a sense of what it is that they want out of the game or what they find amusing. Right. It, it, it is a good time to get a reading of the room, to get an idea of, I want to be more, I want to be more combat focused. Okay, we can do that. I want to be more investigation-focused. Okay, we can push in that direction. It's a good way for the players to relay, because I think sometimes, and it's, it's, it depends on your DM, but sometimes DMs can really get lost in, I want to tell this story, and specifically this story, and I don't want to get off the path too much, and I just want to. I just want this thing to happen. We're going to have a string of combats here, and it's going to be strictly this. And that can, as a player, that can be rough. And then even more, even further into that, as a DM, like in my opinion, you got to be more fluid. But maybe that's a little different discussion <laughs> than than what we're looking to get into. But more to the point of let the table say, hey, you know, are we going to be more combat or is it going to be more story? Is it going to be more investigation? What are we looking at doing? What are we, what type of game are you looking to run? Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is, yeah. What type of game is looking to be run? Uh, you know, what aspects do you enjoy the most? The other thing is you can gauge what level of inner character role play or what types of inner character role play the other people at the table are, are comfortable with or would enjoy, you know, like um game that you and I both played in, there was a lot of, you know, shit giving and, and so to speak, player to player mockery going on that had you just walked into the room and, and witnessed us playing this, you'd have thought, geez, these people freaking hate each other. Right. Where we were all having a ball just ripping on each other <laughs> in character and we all enjoyed it but for a new player walking into that table that probably could have been extremely intimidating exactly i know of a couple times where i was running a campaign like that and i had a new player come in and come up to me and go wow that's really like you guys really get into your characters and we do but you know We've also been playing this game for two years now, like the same campaign for two years now. To be fair, they've been playing those characters for that long. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you need, even if you're, and I, I think this is a weird one, I've done it myself, even if you're keeping the same characters, 
but you're changing the setting. Maybe you have a session zero in the middle of a setting change or a campaign change in some way. I played a campaign, I ran a campaign for probably two years, and then at the end of the second year, I was kind of tired of the world and setting that I had set up. And I said to the players, I go, what happens if we age this up 10 years? What happens if we take this world and advance it a decade or more? And so then we sat down and had a session zero in the middle, you know, while changing essentially the world and the setting just to get the players acclimated with. So it's been this long of time and this is what's changed. You're this much older, you know. Basically, your character stalled out at this point. They didn't really progress any farther. Well, but that also, in that specific circumstance, which you could even apply this to a regular Session Zero, is that lets your players especially feel like they have input in your world, and that's going to create a lot more buy-in because they went, oh, I got to make up this thing. You know, that's another thing, you know, as far as a question. Um Maybe as as the GM, one of your questions is, tell me one thing that's true about this world. Right? Now, obviously, or in, in traditionally anyway, yes, the, the DM or GM would have veto power on that. But at the same time, as the, the DM or GM, that can give you valuable insight into what your players think is fun. Because, you know, my kind of core belief as a GM, is that my biggest goal or my biggest responsibility is to make sure that everyone at the table is having fun. And I think really that goes beyond just the DM. That is the biggest responsibility in the social contract of a role-playing game is that we're all having a good time. Right, exactly. It's It goes beyond just you as the dm having a good time it's why at the end of all of my sessions i try to ask the table how was that did you guys enjoy yourselves was that good was that bad try and get just sort of a quick reading on hey we didn't like that you know this this wasn't good if if you walk away from a session feeling that the table wasn't having a good time Maybe you need to do some changing maybe you need to alter some of the ways that you do things maybe you just need to rethink something because i know that i've played in campaigns and sessions and and you know full campaigns where i stuck around because it was the only game to be played but i shut my mouth and sucked it up because this is not what i want to be doing right now you know this is not the type of game that i want to be playing in yeah it's a situation where you want to play a game and this is the game that you feel is available to you and so well yeah, you know, I don't like chocolate, but chocolate cupcakes are all they have, and I want to eat cupcakes with my friends. Right, right. It's That's it, exactly. Session zeros really allow for a lot of freedom and a lot of communication between you, the DM, or you, the player, to the DM, and getting things out on the table, getting questions answered, just taking care of necessary means. It's a very important thing that I wish I would have known and done session zeros long before I realized they were an actual thing. And I, I you know, it's it's sort of a eureka moment. <laughs> yeah, I think when you, when you really realize how important, or how, I, I shouldn't say how important, but how much it can add to your overall experience, it is, it is really something worth doing. And, you know, something that you should at least look into, you know, the next time you're about to start a game or you feel like there's a major change coming up in your game. Right, right, exactly. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and, and break into us wrapping up and, and letting you go about your day and think about using Session Zeros going forward. So one of the things that I want to start doing is possibly each podcast, me and Steve bring up a RPG that maybe you haven't heard of, something a little bit different, just to get back to where, because we don't want this to be a strictly D&D podcast, we want this to be an RPG in general podcast, so everybody knows D&D, everybody knows the books that are coming out for it, but what are those smaller games? What are the games that were released 
you know, maybe earlier in the year that you didn't hear about. Maybe there's a game from 1984 that you didn't know about, but we wanted to highlight it as sort of just a cool game that I like or that, you know, maybe you like um, just to point you in a direction of something different to play. So I'll start if that's okay with you, Steve. That works. I have a game that I want to highlight, and I know you've probably heard of it. I heard of it. I was like, I want to play this. So I started reading it. I'm highlighting Paranoia, and I'm highlighting specifically the Red Clearance Edition, which is like their starter set. Paranoia is a comedy RPG in most sense. It's it's a humorously dark RPG, and I will warn you that it is a game that when you read the description and understand the point of the game, it's dark. It is, um, you're in the future, everything is monitored, and the whole point of the game is to rat out your buddy, or if if you want to, to not rat out your buddy. But you are encouraged to do that, and Paranoia, with that being the name of the game, that is the point. They want you to be like on edge the entire time, but they want you to have that feeling... And, and maybe stop me if you haven't felt this, but have you ever been so paranoid that you've actually laughed about a situation? Oh, uh, probably. Yeah, I can't think of one specifically, but I, I think I've been there. Or played a game or, or been in it, you know, done something along the lines where it's it's funny because of how paranoid you're being. That's the point of paranoia. Yes, I'm familiar with the title not familiar with the edition that you're referring to. This is their most recent edition. Okay. I do know there was actually, and maybe I'll have to uh, dig this out for us at some point, there was a version of cyber uh, paranoia made specifically for cyberpunk called Alice in Mirror Shades. Yeah. I... Uh, and I think I have a PDF of it somewhere. Paranoia is a game that's been around since 84, so that doesn't shock me at all. But this most recent edition, it was just, it's a, it's an obscure game. It was one that I just wanted to highlight because, honestly, the more I look at Paranoia, the more I read it, the more I go, man, I need to get a group together just to play this, and I don't want to run it. <laughs> well, tell me if you think I'm wrong, because I don't know that I've ever read the game text, but I have heard it played a few times. Paranoia is a comedy take on 1984 turned up to 13. Yes, absolutely. That is that is the point of it. The one I heard was everybody's in prison <laughs> and you're trying to escape. And I mean, that's just somebody's somebody's own take on the game. But I mean, the game looks like such a fun time, but I have a very dark sense of humor. So, yeah, it isn't a game maybe for everybody. But if everyone buys into it, it when I've heard it played and I've heard it spoken about being played, it's one of those ones that is generally spoken of very fondly. Right. When everybody's down, it's it's a good game. Yeah. How about you, Steve? Do you have one? Well, that's, I was kind of tossing around things, and I think I'm going to go to one that originally came out in the early 90s, and there's actually a second edition, probably should be available in stores and online in a few months, a game called Slay Industries. Ooh. The second edition, like I said, is forthcoming, put out by a company called Nightfall Games. Uh, at one point, actually, was briefly owned by Wizards of the Coast. But it is dark sci-fi, kind of cyberpunk, kind of... I'm not sure exactly how to describe it. Um, it is... Let me help you with this, because I actually looked into Slay Industries, and that's S-L-A Industries. Yes. Um, it is... I use this term... It is cyberpunk metal. It is very dark and gritty and yeah, I I was I like Slay. I do. I played it a couple times. It's very dark heavy metal sci very dark sci-fi heavy metal cyberpunk mm -hmm. is is a decent way to to describe it. Um has a lot of you know well a lot has several you know very unique races um you know well, at least one of which is genetically engineered but the the core premise of the game as at least it was presented to me is essentially you, your group of PCs is a little squad and you're effectively troubleshooters you know hey, this thing's a problem, you know, you go get a job off this job board, go try to deal with it, and you get paid for dealing with it. But the kind of twist on it is that there are these little camera drones that follow you around to film everything, and the idea 
is to get footage that is good enough to make it on TV, and then you really get paid. If you don't, you may not make enough money to cover the ammo that you spent doing the job, and then you're screwed. You know, it's 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 a game of we're screwed, but we're trying to unscrew ourselves enough to make it to tomorrow to try and unscrew ourselves again. So if you're really into happy, pretty, whatever kind of games, Slay is probably not one for you. But if you like to play weird science fiction, gritty, I want to say almost depressing, but not satirical. Yes, it is satirical. Um, you know, it's it's poking very hard at reality media in a lot of ways, which is kind of ironic because it came out when the only real reality thing that I remember, at least from that point, was like the real world. But yeah, I always felt that Slay Industries was very specifically jabbing at cops. Ah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but... The TV show Cops would have had premiered... Yeah, it would have premiered way before Slay Industries. 89 was when it would have premiered, so and Slay Industries came out in 93, so I would say that was probably their number one, like, when writing the game. I would say that might have been one of the things that they were looking at going, oh, let's point fingers at this, essentially. Yeah, that could have given it enough time to get over to Scotland, because uh, I believe all the authors are Scottish, which creates a, a little bit of a different twist on it, I suppose, in that it has kind of a uniquely non-American viewpoint from the tone of the writing. Right. That's also true. They are Scottish. Yeah, and I, as I recall, some of the stories were that uh, a lot of the original game design concepts were literally sketched on bar napkins. I don't remember a ton of details of the original mechanical system. I do know they've released some information as to the system that the, the new version will be using, and it is, it's a unique system, sort of somewhere between Cyberpunk 2020 and Vampire the Masquerade in a lot of ways. Right. I, I remember hearing about Slay 2nd Edition and being immediately excited for that. Yeah, the Kickstarter wrapped uh, a month ago. I actually have the quick start. But yeah, Slay was, was a neat game and different. You know, so yeah, you're to play that, you're going to have to have a table that's open to it and it buys into it because it, it's not a game for every table. No. And just to sort of explain why we want to stay away from Kickstarters or why I specifically want to stay away from Kickstarters is there's a lot of Kickstarted games that I looked at and have looked at and they've sort of just not happened. Um, I would much rather point you in the direction of a game where you can go either, hey, this is set to come out in two months, where like Slay Industries is perfect because you can currently buy the original Slay Industries book on Drive Through RPG through PDF for thirteen bucks. Yeah. Like, that's perfect because I can point you in the direction of, hey, if you're interested in this, you can go check it out right now. Like yeah. Paranoia, you can find that where most games are sold. You can find it on Drive-Thru RPG and, and things along that line. I just want to stay away from Kickstarters where, oh man, I saw this game. It's supposed to maybe, I don't know, it's not funded yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, in that vein, like I said, the quick start, uh, you know, stripped down, etc. version of Slay 2nd Edition is also available on Drive-Thru. I believe it's a pay-what-you-want. I mean, forthcoming stuff or stuff that, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff out there, especially uh, when you get into some of the smaller publishers that are, you know, there's constantly stuff being released through some of the, the places that I kind of hang out online. I hear about a lot more kind of darker horror games, but I think that seems to be where a significant portion of the small indie scene is kind of focusing right now is more dark, gritty horror or semi-horror games. Right, and that's where the industry's pointing, because that's what sells at the moment. There's a lot of fun smaller titles, but that's the whole point of this segment, is I just want to try and highlight games that, you know, you might be bringing up stuff that's older, I might be bringing up stuff that's newer. I just want to highlight games that maybe, if you're not in the, like, if you're in the D&D scene, but you're not in the specific RPG scene, maybe we can point you in the direction of a game that you would want to play. Yeah, now Paranoia is much closer to a rules-like game than than Slay is. But yeah, you know, another one, and, and we mentioned this last episode briefly, was Ross Rifles. You know, is, is a game that I would actually find quite interesting, both because it's dealing with World War One, which I don't want to say it's 
Well, yeah, I think it is underappreciated in the gaming space. Uh, underappreciated, maybe the wrong word, underrepresented. You know, and that's one that the designers took a lot of care and a lot of research to reflect things that were real in that time period. And also, uh, you know, when I was in my teens, I got the opportunity to visit the World War One battlefield, uh, Verdun, in France, and. If you, anybody ever gets a chance to to visit that, it is a very profound experience. You're driving into this, and for the last couple of miles, driving up to this big cemetery and memorial, you're driving through these woods, and it's cliche, but it's like the surface of the moon. It is just, you know, there's trees now, but it is pockmarked, and there's holes and, and stuff thrown up, and it, like... It's like the surface of a golf ball magnified from just the constant artillery shelling that happened at that battle. And then you get to the memorial, and it's this big, long building. And there's these, I'm going to call it windows, into like the basement of it. Every, I don't, you know, I don't know the dimensions now. It's It's been 25 plus years. But there's these windows, and what they've literally done is they went through the battlefield and they picked up the bones of the fallen soldiers and they're just I don't know how many of these windows looking in on these chambers that are just full of random human bones and it's not to be a downer but it's a very 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 profound experience to witness very sobering and Ross Rifle, Ross rifles they very much are being respectful and I do want to shout out those guys again because that game is one of the most respectful history games I think I've ever seen, heard of. It is meant to be used as a teaching tool, and it's actually a really fun game in in them using it as a teaching tool. Yeah, so you know that's that's another one I think that you could add. And and as a powered by the apocalypse game, it doesn't require a lot of investment to figure out how to play. So, you know, that might be another one to, to pick up, just even just to read just for yourself. Right, exactly. So, uh, anything else? Well, with that, I think that's it. I want to thank you for listening and uh, play some RPGs. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much for listening and go find a game and play it. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. I don't care if I am 120 years old, it'd still be scary. <laughs> I'm, I don't care that I am 120 years old, I'm still terrified of spiders. <laughs>